The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon, a national democratic strategist, a columnist to the Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies that drive our great nation forward. This week on Deadline DC, we'll discuss the political and economic impact of of Senator Joe Manchin's announcement that he will not support Joe Biden's big and bold Build Back Better bill. Our guest in the first half hour will be Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA. Then in the second half hour, we'll talk to noted economist Dr. Robert Shapiro about the economic impacts. Uh, First, though, we have this clip from Senator Joe Manchin announcing yesterday that he would not support Joe Biden's Build Back Better bill. Senator, you're at the center of this uh, negotiation with the president over his social spending and tax bill, a bill, the Build Back Better bill that is not coming up uh, in the Senate before the new year, in part largely because of your reservations. Without you, the leadership doesn't have the votes it needs. So today, right now, what's the state of play? Well, Brett, you know, this is a mammoth piece of legislation, and I had my reservations from the beginning when I heard about it five and a half months ago, and I've been working diligently every day and every minute of every day i've been working on this meeting with whether it be the president president biden whether it be majority leader schumer and his staff whether it would be with nancy pelosi uh all of my colleagues i mean from all different spectrums of of the political spectrum if you will from the right to the left i've done everything humanly possible and you know my concerns i had and i still have these concerns and where i'm at right now the inflation that i was concerned about it's not transitory it's real it's harming every west virginian it's making it almost difficult for them to continue to go to their jobs, the cost of gasoline, the cost of groceries, the cost of utility bills. All of these things are hitting in every aspect of their life. And, and, you, and you start looking and then, then you have the uh, debt that we're carrying at $29 trillion. You have also the geopolitical unrest that we have. You have the COVID, the COVID uh, variant. Uh, and that is wreaking havoc again. People are concerned. I've been with my family. I know everyone's concerned. So when you have these things coming at you the way they are right now, uh, I've always said this, Brett, if I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. Well, that was uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia uh, with a lump of coal in everybody's Christmas stocking. 
Our guest in this half hour is Sarah Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Politicus USA. Uh, she's the star of stage, screen, and social media, and she joins us today to discuss the political impact of Senator Manchin's decision. Uh, Sarah's Twitter handle is Politicus Sarah, that's P-O-L-I-T-I-C-U-S-S-A-R-A-H, all one word. Uh, Sarah, welcome to the Back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, let so me much. ask you this. Did Senator Joe Manchin just neuter uh, Joe Biden's presidency? I don't think he did. I think he would. He thought he was really enjoying the spotlight and being the, uh, the man with all the power between the 50-50 uh, split in the Senate. But I think the White House um, slapped him back a little bit after he made this announcement yesterday and I think Democrats are going to find a way, actually, to cobble pieces of this together. We already saw some proposals for that and maybe pass it piece by piece, uh, which actually might be better for them in the midterms, because instead of having to, you know, run on this huge piece of legislation that they what piece are they going to talk about? They will have all these uh, they could have all these little bits to talk about, to talk about separately, the child care tax, the climate change. But none of that should get the 50 Republicans who won't vote for this and uh, the two Democrats who won't and Joe Manchin, him, you know, especially off the hook, because what he did was absolutely despicable. And he was really dishonest about it. And the reasons that he's given, they keep changing every time he gives one reason then that's disproven by an analyst. And then he moves the goalposts again. You know, just the other day he said it was inflation. And then uh, Goldman Sachs downgraded our economic outlook after his announcement yesterday, citing, uh, and then, well, Manchin cites um, inflation as his one reason, but then he loves the Penn Wharton analyst, and they said, no, virtually no impact on the short-term inflation. And in fact, long-term, it would ease inflationary pressures. So we're not seeing a consistent reason from him. And Democrats gave him a lot. They already cut this bill in half. And then we're willing to cut and had cut even more. Okay. Uh, uh, every uh, effective political story uh, needs a hero and a villain. Uh, it seems to me that when Donald Trump was president, uh, he insulted uh, and attacked everybody. Uh, and Joe Biden's presidency is just the opposite, where he tries to uh, accommodate everybody uh, and speak nicely of him. Uh, I wonder if there's an in-between there sometimes. Uh, I think that uh, Joe Biden uh, was very careful since the start of his presidency uh, to uh, work, try to work with Senator Manchin, uh, speak nicely of him. Uh, but uh, all he got for that uh, coddling of Joe Manchin uh, was the proverbial uh, piece of coal in the Christmas stocking yesterday. 
And I wonder if this suggests that, uh, you know, I was glad to see the president uh, through his press secretary call out Senator Manchin yesterday. I wonder, though, if it means that Joe Biden has to be a little tougher with the people he's dealing with. And maybe if he was tougher, had been tougher with Joe Manchin, uh, he wouldn't have got uh, wiped out by the senator uh, on uh, yesterday on Fox News Sunday. I think that's a good question to ask. I mean, of course, he is doing the balancing act that everybody is doing uh, regarding the Senate, not wanting, you know, mentions referenced, um, oh, they're going to push me over to the other side a few times. And it, it would, what is not even a veiled threat to uh, become a Republican. And so I think that if anything, Biden is looking, you know, very strategically. He's, he was in the Senate for a long time, and I do think he's taken that into account. And I also think that Biden is the type, and I do like this about him, he presents this very uh, diplomatic and civil way of doing business. But you kind of get the feeling with him that he can take you out to the woodshed. Those are his own words. I can't remember when he said that, but he made a joke about it years ago, I think. Um, And I think he knows how to get tough with people when he has to. But I I think Joe Manchin um, has his ego really got away with himself and, and, and maybe not just his ego. It's hard to know if he's not doing this uh, for other reasons um, that, you know, we can't speak to his motives, but none of the reasons he's given make sense. So we don't really know what's going on with him. I just think it, he became more and more inflated and I don't know who could have uh, cut him down. I do think that Democrats were wrong to not listen to progressives, concerns about Manchin not being uh, living up to his word. And he clearly has proven that now. And it's going to be tough for him in the future. Uh, Yeah, it will be. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Democrats uh, need Senator Manchin's support to do much of anything if they're going to get any kind of package passed, uh, even a bare bones one. uh, They'll need uh, Senator Manchin's uh, cooperation uh, to get a budget reconciliation bill next year. So it will be interesting to see what happens. Uh, Our guest today... Uh, on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon uh, is Sarah Jones, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Politicus USA. Uh, We're talking about the impact of Joe Manchin's announcement yesterday uh, that he would not support President Biden's big and bold Build Back Better bill. Uh, We're going to continue that discussion uh, focusing on whether what Democrats can do to rebound from this setback. Uh, and uh, in the second half hour, we're talking about the political impact of Senator Manchin's decision. In this half hour, we'll talk about the economic impact. In the second half hour, with Dr. Robert Shapiro, the noted economist, we're going to go to break now. We'll be right back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and Sarah Jones from Politicus USA after this break. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Sarah Jones, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Politicus USA. Well, Sarah, it's the end of one year and the almost the beginning of another year. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. 
first of all, what do you think was the big political story of 2021? I think the big story was uh, the one six attack and of course COVID, but I, um, the one six attack that's historic. We haven't really absorbed. Uh, we don't know the whole story behind it yet, but we are learning more and more about it. And just on Friday, the judges sounded the alarm about the ongoing risk to the country. And so, and, you know, Fox News was busted for lying to their viewers about 1-6 and downplaying the violence while sending text messages um, to people in the White House begging Trump to put an end to the violence to try to tamp it down. And I think that is the story. Uh, that's the story of our democracy. It's going to be the story that people remember from this year. Yeah, I actually agree with you on this one, Sarah. In fact, I just wrote a column uh, which uh, showed on the Hill yesterday in the Hill yesterday uh, saying that I thought the big story, political story of the year was the uh, capital attempted, the abortive capital coup that it uh, occurred on January 6th this year. Uh, I think the moral of the story is that we came very, very close to ending democracy uh, in our great republic, and we have to be constantly on guard to protect it. So I agree with you on this one, Sarah. I think it was Absolutely. clearly the big political story of the year. Uh do you think that, uh, you know, right now there's a uh, special House uh, committee investigating uh, the uh, abortive capital coup on January 6th? Uh, what have we learned so far from the investigation? They seem to be peeling this controversy like an onion. Uh, and the deeper you get into it, the uglier it looks. What do you think we've learned so far? Well, you know, every time they appeal another layer of that onion, we learn more and more. More fingers are pointing directly at the former president and the people around him and several Republicans in the House. And I think that um, an interesting point that's been made when you listen to uh, how Cheney, for example, is framing some issues, uh, former prosecutor Glenn Kirshner pointed out that framing these issues using the precise language of our federal criminal code, she seems to be providing a roadmap for future criminal charges. And I do see that happening. It's very clear now uh, the obstruction of official proceedings is going to be the center of all of this. And I don't like, you know, this legal language, it really waters down what's happened, but it's basically um, a terrorist attack. And that's what, you know, Ray identified it as. So, it was a terrorist attack, and it's an ongoing threat. One of my concerns is that we constantly hear chatter that this, there's another attack being planned. And so as long as no one is really being prosecuted, uh, and I'm not talking about the, the people who, you know, were there and enacted this sort of thing, but the people at the top who incited it, as long as they're walking free and not being damaged at all, it, it remains this threat. Although we are starting to see, uh, and I wrote an article the other day about those, uh, the judges saying this was an attack on our democracy and they're handing out tougher sentences and not being, not, not granting leniency. We went from, you know, oh, I want organic food. Remember that? And yeah, I remember the that. Judge, and the judge saying that was good. And now they're 
taking a different tack. So I think um, I'm hoping that that continues, but I don't think that it's working. You know, justice system is very slow, but I don't think it's working fast enough. I do want to quickly point out before the end, though, that one story that I wish had been this story was President Biden's economy. Um, I wrote a story about this, that the unemployment was at the lowest level since 1969. And then just yesterday, the chief of Bloomberg, Bloomberg News, the former editor-in-chief of Bloomberg News, wrote that Biden's economy, and this is a quote, is reaching superstar status, um, produced economic growth and strength at historic levels for a first-year president. And, you know, you don't hear anybody talking about that. Isn't that funny? If he were a Republican president, this would be the talking point of the year. Uh, do you feel that most Americans, uh, most Americans seem to be in a very foul mood about the economy? Do you think most Americans, uh, because they're paying higher prices for everything, uh, notice that there's any improvement in the economy? Well, I doubt that they notice that. I mean, we have seen these shifts brought on by the pandemic in part where where people are saying, I'm not going to work. You know, I don't want to go to work for uh, X amount of dollars. I don't want to do a job I don't want to do. And and we've had a lot of talk about that and chatter. So I do think there's been like these, this unexpected push for workers' rights and for workers to be paid more. And I think that's getting more attention. But no, I don't think the, um, the average person out there is feeling great, even though uh, I guess they, people have $100 more in their pocket than, than they had before. I, you know, this is not going to be something people are going to notice. People also are very, um, they're going to reflect what they hear on the news. So it is really hard to say chicken or the egg, because if, if the news wasn't constantly talking about the supply chain problems and inflation, um, and, and they dedicated as much time talking about what people need, for example, that is in Build Back Better, childcare, uh, affordable, um, you know, paid family leave. These are things that people really need. I just think that people might be able to see the a little bit of the bigger picture, not to say they should be appreciative for an economy that's not working for them, you know, partly probably due to COVID that we can't, it's hard to know how that's impacting when we know it's impacted it hugely. We, we don't know how much. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, I saw uh, a meme on Facebook the other day, uh, that said when I was a kid, the scariest thing on TV was the Twilight Zone. Uh, now it's the national uh, news every night. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's true. I make a point to watch national news every night. And it's a horror story. School shootings, uh, gasoline prices in Los Angeles hitting $6 a gallon, uh, the spread of the uh, pandemic. Uh, it's just wall-to-wall bad news, and it's no wonder that people are as in foul mood as they are. And the question is whether the Biden administration can find some way of turning the mood around uh, so the president uh, gets some backing and Democrats can hang on in the midterm elections. Uh, we'll have to see, and we'll have to have you on a, another time to talk about that, sir, because we've run out of time. I want to thank you very much for joining us. Uh, wish you happy holidays, uh, and thanks so much for joining us. When we thank uh, you so get, much for having me. Thank you, Sarah. When we get back, 
um, our guest. Uh, we're going to have uh, an economist on the show to discuss the economic uh, impact of Joe Manchin's uh, decision not to support uh, uh, Build Back Better. Uh, it's noted economist Dr. R R Robert Shapiro. Uh, so don't go anywhere. We still have half a show to go. It's and don't turn off the TV it would be uh, turn, like turning off the television or the video or the audio uh, halfway during the, your favorite team's football game. So don't do that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Headline going to start with a clip uh, from uh, Rep U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, with her reaction to Joe Manchin's announcement that he would not be supporting Joe Biden's big and bold Build Back Better bill. On this now, the future of what is now known as Build Back Better, whether this moves into smaller pieces uh, that could be passed individually, or perhaps Build Back Better is revamped to Joe Manchin's liking, uh, it would then, of course, have to swing back to the House to get approval. How do you work with that? Would you be willing, would you and the others in your caucus be willing to work with those kind of bills? How much more are you willing to compromise? Well, you know, I think the first thing to say is that this idea that we're going to refit it to Joe Manchin's liking. The bill has already been retrofitted to Joe Manchin's liking. Let's make that extremely clear. The climate uh, ambitions have been reduced because of Joe Manchin. We have had, for example, uh, the, the minimization of Medicare expansion. Much of that is thanks to Joe Manchin. Um, and we need to really make it very clear that this bill, this framework, was signed off by Joe Manchin. And so this is a Joe Manchin Build Back Better Act. And so this idea that we're going to go back to the table and give him the pen again for a bill that he has already have, has his ink all over makes very little sense. So that is Representative Alexandra uh, Ocasio-Cortez uh, talking about her reaction to Joe Manchin's decision. The lesson that Joe Biden should learn from the Manchin debacle is that when going gets tough, the tough get going. President Biden needs to fight. First, he needs to be more aggressive, calling out opponents of his effort to fight the pandemic and fix the economy. He did this yesterday when his press secretary, Jan Psaki, called out Manchin. Next target. Uh, Tuesday night, when he speaks to America, uh, the president should take a swipe at the anti-vaxxers, including the anti-vaxxers in Congress, who are trying to do everything they can to stop his fight against the uh, dreadly, deadly COVID uh, pandemic. Then the president needs to flex his muscle with executive orders. Start with student loans. Reductions or cancellations of student debt would stimulate the economy and energize a key part of the Democratic base, millennials and Gen Xs. Challenge the federal courts to stop them uh, and take on the fight. This half hour of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon is brought to you by my company, Bannon Communications Research, which polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions and Democrats. You can read this column uh, and all of my columns in the Hill 
uh, at thehill.com front slash person front slash Brad dash Bannon. I'm glad that the Hill has acknowledged my status as a person. <laughs> our guest in this first half hour is I'm not a robot. I guess that means uh, our guest in this first and in this half hour is Dr. Robert Shapiro, chairman of Sonicon an economic advisory firm and a senior fellow of the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. Go Hoyers. Uh, he is an internationally known economist who has advised several prominent Democrats on economic policy. He was the Undersecretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs in the Clinton administration. Uh, Rob's uh, uh, Twitter handle is Rob Shapiro, all one word. Uh, the website for his company, Sonicon, is Sonicom, www.sonicom.com. That's S-O-N-E-C-O-N. Uh, welcome back to Deadline DC, Dr. Shapiro. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Brad. How are you? Good. Great. Okay, let's start with this. Uh, today, I guess, Goldman Sachs, the investment firm, uh, downgraded their uh, expectations for economic growth, uh, which they attributed uh, to Joe Manson's decision to oppose Build Back Better. How much of an let's say we don't know what's going to happen. It may be elements of Build Back Better passes or, you know, in some form, who knows? Uh, I guess we need a legislative expert to figure that out. Uh, but uh, if uh, what is what, let's say Build Back Better doesn't get off the ground, what would be the economic impact of that? Well, I think the long-term economic impact would be quite significant because the positive effects of the healthcare provisions, the childcare provisions, the pre-K provisions, the climate provisions; these are all so positive for, in particular, employment, but also generally for the economy. Um, in the short run, you know, I'm, uh, Goldman Sachs is on the pessimistic side of forecasters. I'm much more optimistic, the Fed is much more optimistic, but what they do establish, I think, correctly, is that the negative effect of not passing or on growth of not passing Build Back Better is greater than the marginal impact on inflation from passing it, which is to say that Manchin's economic argument really doesn't hold water. Uh, you have more economic costs if you don't pass it through lower growth, lower employment than you would have otherwise, then the possible marginal costs of passing it in uh, slightly higher inflation. So, uh, so the the um, um, the Goldman analysis is pretty. Uh, devastating to the economic argument that Manchin is making. But of course, it's not, his argument is not really about the economy, it's about politics. And he comes from a conservative state. And even though it's a state in which 
there are millions of people who would benefit from Build Back Better. The association with Democrats like AOC is very um, problematic for some, for a Democratic senator from West Virginia. Um, so I think it's his his way of distancing himself from the center left and left parts of the Democratic Party. Um, we'll see how long it's a, it holds. There are a lot of people, including me, who uh, think that major parts of Build Back Better will come back in January. Okay. Uh, probably not the child tax credit, because that seems to be the part of uh, Build Back Better that Senator Manchin is most hostile to. Uh, what, what would you do? What would you, how do you think Democrats and the president and the majority leader Chuck Schumer should, uh, uh, respond to this threat? Well, I think they, look, the best way to respond to it is to figure out a way to, uh, have an achievement that, that the country will embrace and support. And, um, Look, I would, I certainly think we need childcare, much more support for childcare. Um, but I would not give up um, enhanced coverage for in healthcare, the climate provisions, um, universal pre-K, um, and other very positive parts of. Uh, build back better if in the end the choice is build back better without the child care credit or nothing. Um, look, this is a, uh, the president and Pelosi and Schumer have done a spectacular job in um, achieving an enormous amount with a razor thin majority in the Senate and a very, very small majority in the House. Um, but those, those, the fact that it is a 50-50 Senate is, that's part of the politics you have to take account of, which means you can't do without Joe Manchin. No, uh, sadly, uh, we would as much as we would like to. He's there, and his term does not end uh, until the uh, end of uh, 2024. And uh, we need to keep him as a Democrat. Yeah, we do. We do because if he flipped, uh, that would automatically mean that Mitch McConnell would become majority leader, right. and I guess things that would make things even worse. We're going to go to break now. Our guest in this half hour is Dr. Robert Shapiro, the noted economist who's here to just give us a status update on the economy and latest economic developments. We'll be right back with more Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome back to Deadline DC. Brad, 
half hour is Dr. Robert Shapiro, a noted economist who is the chairman of Sonicom, an economic advisory firm. Uh, Rob, let me uh, let me ask you one more question about uh, the economic impact of COVID. Uh, is it Am I wrong? I've always had this feeling, and I'm not an economist, which is why we have you on the show, uh, to say if it hadn't been for the COVID pandemic, or let me put it another way, if the pandemic does recede, is that going to precipitate a massive boom in the economy? I have this feeling that COVID is just you know, clamping, you know, stepping on the economic recovery. And if it ever does go away, uh, will we have a really big expansion of the economy or not? Or am I just being optimistic? No, I think we're actually in that big expansion. You know, the Federal Reserve um, has predicted that, has forecast that growth this year will be just under 6%. Uh, that is in 2020. Uh, I mean, in 2021, and just under 4% in 2022. Let's assume that the Omicron variant pulls down growth next year in 2021 to three by a quarter. So from 4% to 3%. That is still a very strong Biden boom. The fact is growth from 2000 to 2019 averaged 2% a year. And here we're talking about almost 6% this year and at least 3% next year. Over that entire period, we've never reached as high as 3% from 2000 to 2019. So by any measure, this is a genuine boom and it will occur unless the Omicron variant causes a shutdown of the economy, um, which I don't expect, um, or inflation spirals out of control, which I also don't expect. So, you know, as it is, one other fact for the boom analysis is unemployment fell um, from over 6% to just over 4% in the 11 months the president been in office. Uh, so it fell by one third. After the Great Recession, it took six years for the unemployment rate to fall by one third. So this is historically strong job creation and historically strong growth. And uh, so, you know, for some reason, um, Democrats don't seem to want to talk about their economic achievements, and the media doesn't want to talk about it either. But that's what the data say. It is just in the data. Um, well, and, let me ask you a question about that. Sure. Uh, you're right. The media, when we talked, we talked about this before you came on the air, the media likes to talk about bad news, so it yeah. drives ratings, so it's not surprising. They don't want to talk about their economic gains, but you said Democrats don't like to talk about their economic accomplishments either. Could you explain why that is? I don't know. Well, I do think that part of it is that they have been um, absorbed in 
the sectarian fight within the Democratic Party okay. over whether to be progressive or really progressive. <laughs> Those are the choices, frankly. And they've been absorbed in that. And, um, uh, and also, look, politicians uh, respond to the media, too. And the media, the media set the agenda for public discussion. Now, the president could have, president is the one figure who can have significant impact on the narrative, for set the narrative for the media. Um, and why the White House has not been more aggressive? Well, one explanation is that if the economy is doing that well, then more people, some Democrats might question the need for a big Build Back Better program. Um, and so I think that's probably also been um, kind of cushioning that discussion. But reality is reality. GDP is real. Employment is real. Um, and these are real forces driving uh, this economy right now. Okay, uh, let's uh, try this. Uh, one of the, uh, you know, I think part of the explanation is, is that many people don't feel uh, the economic uh, expansion, or I guess right now the Twitter handle is Biden boom. Uh, because they feel that uh, their every day, and I think it's especially true among middle class families, uh, the amount of money, the, the amount of money they put out for gasoline to get back and forth to work, uh, their groceries um, are getting more ex uh, expensive, uh, and their income is not uh, growing to accommodate that. Uh, so, you know, if that's the situation, uh, how from the Biden administration standpoint, how you get around that, that the that fact is that I think a lot of middle class families just aren't feeling like there's an economic boom going on. Well, I Even don't if there is. Um, I, I agree with you, but I don't think it's because of anything really economic. I think it's because of the pandemic and because of the general political atmosphere, which is that everything is a catastrophe. Um, and so I think it's very hard to feel feel kind of confident um, economically. Uh, and you are right that inflation, the spurt of inflation we're getting now is has been concentrated in two areas um, that touch every family every week. Every week, Every family spends money on energy, like gasoline, and or they get their heating bill, and they spend money on food. And um, those prices have been going up. And the question is, um, for the Biden boom, or for whatever path we find ourselves on, is um, how entrenched or embedded is this inflation? And to most economists, including the Fed, the view is that 
that this inflation is not embedded, that the inflation is really being caused by problem by shortages and problems in supply chains that are a short-term result of the pandemic. Um, you know, to me, it most resembles 1946-1947. When we came out of World War II, we had to restructure the economy. You know, GM had been producing tanks as well as cars, and there was a big demand for cars. And so they had to retool in order to meet that demand. And until they did, the supply was constrained and demand was high, so prices went up. Well, I think a version, a smaller version of that has happened here, where you had a total lockdowns and really kind of a collapse in virtually every economy for a couple months. And businesses said, well, there's no demand. They cut back production. They let, let off workers. Um, other companies reduced their inventories because they expected the be because they were responding to depressed demand. Well, the demand is now back. And it takes a little time to work out those logistical problems. That's the view that economists like myself and the Fed have that this inflation is likely to ease within a couple months. Uh, it's certainly hopefully you're right, Dr. Shapiro, uh, because I think there's going to be I think this January is going to be really bad uh, with the spread of Omicron. Uh, once people start seeing their December uh, and January utility bills, which are likely to skyrocket. Uh, I think uh, the administration and the continuing inability to pass Build Back Better uh, are going to be really big problems to this administration, and I hope they know how to cope with the situation because I think the next month or so is going to be pretty rugged. Dr. Shapiro, I want to thank you for joining us today. I want to thank all our guests, Sarah Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Politicus USA, economist Dr. Rob Shapiro, and of course, our Crackerjack executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, Leslie Marshall will be back tomorrow, uh, and stay tuned for more episodes of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon.